mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, A Great Savior. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Here now... Pastor Moody. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to go right to the Word of God today, and I want you, if you would, uh, uh, to go with me to Matthew chapter 12, and uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 38, and uh, I want you to listen to what the Word of God says. It says that certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying to Jesus, Master, we would see a sign from you. We want you to show us something. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall uh, no sign be given to it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. He goes on and says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the whale's belly. Some years ago I heard a professor speaking. He said that was an impossibility. He said even at the size of whales, they can't swallow anything any bigger than a grapefruit. But the Bible says that God prepared that great fish to swallow Jonah. And I've always said when God got done with it, it could have swallowed a Cadillac if he wanted it to. Amen. But Jonah spent three days and three nights, uh, amen, in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man, Christ, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Listen, folks, that means Christ was dead and God raised him again. He said the men of Nineveh shall arise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But in Christ's day, he said, Behold, now a greater than Jonah is here. Amen. Then he goes on in verse 42 and said, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then Christ says, Right now in your presence, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. I want to just preach to you a little bit uh, this morning on the thought of a great Savior, a great Savior. What a wonderful, great Savior we've got. You know, it's been my experience in my, my years of living that, that life can be an array of situations. Things can happen, and I've, we've all had those days where everything's going along smoothly, then a little something goes wrong, and you know, we, we just simply make some minor adjustments and proceed and move forward. Then there are those times when more serious things happen. We look around, we reach out to resources, to friends, to help, to, to ministers, to pastors, to people to try to help us to get through it. But then there are those days when the worst thing that you can imagine happens. A tragedy strikes, a death that you weren't prepared for. There's no one to help. You don't know what to do and which way to turn. And no one understands why it happened or, or even why it happened. And I've said it like this. You, you find yourself struggling to even breathe, just trying to hold on. And it's just times like that 
that I rejoice that we have a great Savior. We have a God that's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that you could ever imagine or ask. I want to tell somebody. I felt like the Lord spoke to me this week that I'd be preaching to somebody who's in a very traumatic situation. You're in the worst mess that you've ever faced. You don't know how to get out of it. But I want to tell you, we have a great Savior. We have a God. We have a Jesus that's able to meet you right where you are and take care of you in your time of need. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. We pray you bless us today and help us as we preach. Help us to share the heart of God, amen, to people today who need you. I read the poem, and you've probably heard it many, many times, and it got on my heart this week, and I just kind of looked it up and read it again. It's called One Solitary Life. It's talking about Jesus. It said he was born in an obscure village. He was the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then he became an itinerant preacher. He never held a public office. He never had a family or even owned a house. And I thought about that. He didn't mean to. He owned everything. He made everything. Amen. He didn't go to college because what could they have taught him? He was God. Amen. He was omniscient, which means he knew and saw and knew everything. He had no credentials given to him by man. The only credentials he had was he himself. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he's the central figure of the human race. The writer said that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned have not affected the life of man on this, on this earth as much as that one solitary life the life of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand today that the Bible paints a vivid picture of the greatness of God, amen, with wonderful illustrations of his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. I mean, if you can read and believe the first sentence in the Bible, you might get your mind around God because it just starts out and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I know the evolutionists and the, the brilliant minds of our day have discounted that. But in Hebrews, the Bible said, by faith we understand that God created the heavens and the earth and that things that are appear are, that are, are not as they appear. I mean, you can try to explain evolution till you fall over. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God creating the heaven and the earth. Somebody said you could take a, a bag full of gears and springs and pins and put them in a bag and shake them up. And if they fall out to be a Rolex, then you might be able to believe, amen, in evolution. But I want to believe that it takes intelligent design to make a world like the world we live in. It took intelligent design to create a human body. Amen. Created in the image of God, a, a trinity, if you will. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But man is a living, uh, an eternal spirit who lives in a body, who has a soul, which is mind, will, and emotion. God made us like him. Three parts, if you can say amen. No other created being has that. But God created us to live forever. And when I begin to think about how brilliant God is, can I tell you something? I'll just be plain. My 
God, he made us, he can fix us. Hallelujah. He made us, he can straighten us up. He made us, he can deliver us. Oh, glory. He, he made us, he knows how to heal us. I was just, as I mentioned a moment ago, just got back from Florida. And the last time I was there, uh, uh, me and my son-in-law went over to visit a friend, uh, a lady that I had known her family since I was just very, very young. And uh, her husband had passed and her son and her lived there in Florida. And we had gotten word that he had cancer and that the cancer was really advancing and he was not doing well. And so my son-in-law and I went by one day while we were there. We stopped at the house and we talked with them for a while. And uh, while we were there, they were telling me about the progression of the cancer and all of this. And just before we left, I said, if you don't mind, I'd just like to lay hands on you and pray for you. And he said, that'd be fine. And so my son-in-law and I both, we... We laid hands on him. We started to pray. I felt something moving. Glory to God. And now these are people that are not used to all that. I didn't just you know, get crazy. Or nothing. I just prayed. And uh, this time while we were down there, I got word that uh, they'd went back to the doctors and they'd ran more tests. And the doctors came back and said, there's no sign of cancer. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, go ahead, give him praise. We have a God. Hallelujah. A great Savior. And I want to tell somebody, the pandemic didn't take God by surprise. Come on, he knows everything. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, omnipresent. Those are the attributes of God. Omnipresent means he's everywhere. Omnipotent means he's all powerful. Omniscient means he knows everything. He knew, he knew everything from before the foundation of the world until after the end of time. We live in this thing called time. He lives in eternity. He's still in the past. He's here in the present. He's already out there in the future. All I need to know is it doesn't matter what takes place in this world I have a God that loves me, a Savior that saved me, a Holy Spirit that lives in me, and wherever I go, He's already there. Whatever I face, He's already got it in hand. And I want to tell somebody watching us today by way of live stream, I've got good news. Jesus is Lord, and He's able to meet you right there in the midst of your dilemma. Give Him praise if you would. I want you to notice some things Jesus said here. He said, talking about, talking about Jonah, talking about Solomon, he said, a greater is here. Now the Pharisees came and they were really criticizing Jesus. When they said master, they really sort of said it with sarcasm. They doubted who he was. They doubted, you know, they, they were the ones that said, is this not the carpenter's son? I mean, isn't this the, the guy that I read you, talk, quoted the poem to you about a while ago that he lived in, in obscurity? He, he was a peasant girl's son. They doubted even his claims of, you know, of divine conception that he was the son of God. And they, they, they called him master with sarcasm. They were criticizing, they were judging him. And Jesus responded by saying simply, amen, you believe that Jonah came out of the belly of a whale I want to tell you, a greater than Jonah is here. Amen. He would tell them later, he'd say, Abraham longed to see my day. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old. And if you've seen Abraham, and he held up his hands and said, well, before Abraham was I am, hallelujah. And so they, they, they were ready to kill him when he said that. They're, they're very critical of him. And then he says, and a greater, they thought Solomon to be the writer of the Proverbs and of Ecclesiastes and, and the Song of Solomon. 
Solomon thought him to be the most brilliant man, amen, that the world had ever seen. And he looks at him and says, well, I want to tell you, amen, one's greater than Jonah is here, one that'll conquer the grave. Then he said, one greater than Solomon is here. Dr. Robert Lee said this, he said that those Pharisees must have wondered at Jesus' bold statements. After all, he's just a carpenter's son. Solomon was born in a palace. Jesus was born in a stable. Solomon was born in Jerusalem, amen, thought to be the city, amen, of David and of God. And Jesus was born in little old Bethlehem, a poor little shepherd's village, amen, that they thought nothing great would ever come from there. Solomon had servants to wait upon him. Hand and foot, Jesus had none. Solomon wore kingly robes. Jesus dressed in a peasant's garment. Solomon drank from vessels of gold. Jesus had to get a drink of water from a Samaritan harlot. Somebody ought to, ought to preach with me right there. Solomon was rich beyond compare. Amen, what, by what they saw. And Jesus was a pauper. Solomon had great armies. Amen. But uh, Jesus only had... 12 men following him around. Solomon, amen, lived in mansions. Jesus was homeless and didn't have a place to lay his head. Solomon had horses and chariots and rode in splendor. Jesus walked everywhere he went. How could he be greater than Solomon? <clears throat> because he could make claims amen, that nobody else could make. He could say, I've been with the Father. I know the Father's heart. At 12 years old, he walked into a temple, amen, not even yet a bar mitzvah, not even yet become an adult Jew in their mind. And he walked into a temple and the scholars and the doctors of the law sat and listened to him teach and they were astounded at his answers, amen. For days, they sat there and listened. There'd be times when they would come and question Jesus, trying to find fault with him. They'd go back to the Pharisees. They'd say, well, or to the Sanhedrin, did you get any answers? Can you find anything we could condemn him with? And they had to say, never a man spoke like this man. He doesn't talk like you guys talk. He talks with authority. I'm just trying to tell somebody today, he's got the answer to your problem. He's got the answer to your dilemma. He's the one that can give you guidance. Amen. The Bible says, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. I want to tell you, David said, this poor man cried. He lifted me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet up on a rock, established my goings, shined a light under my feet and a lamp under my path and put a song in my heart. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, I sing because I'm happy. I preach because I'm connected. I live for him because for 42 years, I can tell you, he brought me out of the miry clay. He put a song down in my heart. He's real. Hallelujah. He's a great savior. Oh, give him praise if you would. Amen. The thing that makes Jesus different is the power that he possessed because he's God. He's God the Son. He's the, he's the second person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's the third person. The Father's the first person. It was the power that he possessed. Acts 10, 36 said the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Listen, then it said, he is Lord of all. And then in verse number 37, amen, the Bible goes on and said, 
the, that word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now listen to verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. Amen. They tried to find fault in him. They really couldn't find none. Amen. Herod washed his hands and said, I find no fault in him. Yet still yet that crowd, that religious backslid bunch cried, give us Barabbas. But God anointed him with power. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed with the, of the devil for God was with him. Listen, I want to tell you the devil is real. The things that are going on in our world today, amen, the things that, that people are now just trying to kind of overlook. You can't overlook murder, my friend. You can't overlook, amen, violence throughout the land. You can't overlook the destruction and the deception that characterizes government powers of most of the world now. You can't overlook that stuff. But I've come to tell you, amen, that there's unimaginable power available through Jesus Christ. And God has sent him and raised him up in power. And soon and very soon, you hear me, a brother called me from Africa the other day. And with his broken English, he said, my pastor, how do you see it? How do you see the world? And with, I could tell by the urgency of his voice, he was questioning. And I, he said, before I could answer him, he said, is Jesus coming? He said, is this the hour? Is this the day? And I said, my brother, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because soon and very soon, that same Jesus that raised up on a cloud with the, being ushered by two angels, it's going to come back in like manner. And the trumpet's going to sound. And the church is going to leave. And the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And the world going to be destroyed through seven years of tribulation but then he's coming back mounted on a white horse and the armies of heaven are coming with him and he's going to go to Jerusalem and set up his kingdom and rule this world for a thousand years and are you listening? We're going to be a part of his cabinet. We're going to be kings and priests and governors. What are you talking about preacher? God's about to change everything. I don't believe it could happen. That's because you don't know just what a great Savior we have. Hallelujah. He's in control. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Woo. The house may not be full this morning, but the house is full this morning. Come on. The presence of God is here. Amen. I want you to understand when he said a greater is here. Amen. God has given him a name above every name. Every name. The name of Jesus is an offense to the world. If you don't believe it, you get your kid up in the morning or if they're having school and you send him to school with a t-shirt on it that says Jesus and you watch the reaction of the world. You send him to school with a Bible. They'll treat him like he's a gangster or a thug or something. Jesus said they hated me. They'll hate you. That's where our world is today. And he said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. I, I, but, but listen, he said, be not afraid because I have overcame the world. I'd like to tell somebody, he's still in control. He's still on the throne. Can I, I loved it the other day. I shouted when I heard a preacher said on the radio, he said, the tomb may be empty, 
But the throne is full today, praise God. Woo, hallelujah. God the Father is on the throne and Jesus is at his right hand and right out in front of that throne there are lamps of fire burning, reflecting on a sea of glass mingled with fire representing that the Holy Spirit, the river of God's being poured out from the very throne room. It's filled the earth. He's moving right now. That's why we act like this. That's why we, we move and live in the beauty of holiness and righteousness because he said, I'll send you another comforter. He'll be in you. He'll not leave you. He'll take you out of this world. Can I tell you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to quicken our mortal bodies and we're going to leave this world when he comes. I'm ready for the rapture. I'm not ready. I'm not waiting on the 2024 election to try to set things right. Come on, somebody help me. I'm not even concerned too much about the midterm elections in 2022. I've found out my hope is not in Washington. My hope is not in Frankfurt. My hope is standing up at the right hand of God. (laughs) We have a great Savior. Amen. Let Let me go on. You see, the true greatness, there's true greatness that Jesus demonstrated that's still in the kingdom of God today among his people. Now, what do you mean by true greatness? In, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 20, it said, then came to Jesus the mother of Zebedee's children. Let me know who that is. That's, that's James and John, the sons of thunder. That's what they're called. They were fishermen who left their nets to follow Jesus. They, gave up every, they would tell him, Lord, we've left all and followed you. And, uh, they, and, and they, they asked him once, they said, what will we get in this kingdom? What, what's in this for us? Because we've left everything. Jesus said, no man's left father and mother and kindred and brother and houses and lands. He won't be restored a hundred. A hundredfold. Not in this world only, but in the world to come. Are you hearing me? We're going to get repaid here. And we're going to get repaid there. Can I tell somebody that's watching me today, you, you got all messed up and hung up out there in the world and you thought drugs would help you and you thought alcohol would help you, you thought another affair would help you, you thought another relationship, some strange weird thing would help you, you thought getting caught up in the world would bring fulfillment. No, 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 no. None of that stuff works. But I'm going to tell you, you walk away from that life, give it up, lose it, surrender yourself to Christ and you will find fulfillment not just in heaven but here. And sometimes Christians act like all we got is is a little cabin over in the corner of glory or just a mansion over a hilltop. And I thank God I'm looking forward to all of that. But I'm here to tell you, I saw a bumper sticker on a car one day that said, don't get caught dead without Jesus. I said, dear God, I don't want to get caught alive without him because he saved me. He blesses me. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. Come on, he called me to preach. He's he's made a way for me when there wouldn't seem to be a way. Can I tell you, he me more times than I can count. He brought my wife back from major strokes that they said she'd be an invalid. You ought to see her today. She's as pretty as she ever was walking around doing good. I'm here to tell you this God I'm talking about has power over strokes, power over cancer, power over diabetes. Come on. I'm here to tell you we have a great Savior. Hallelujah. We have a great Savior. And when I when I started to think about the true greatness of God, it's, it's not, these, they, they came to Jesus 
And they said they were desiring a, thir- a certain thing of him. And, and, and this is what they asked. He said unto her, what, do you, what is it you want? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on thy right hand and on the other on your left in your kingdom. Now let, let me explain. She thought that Jesus was about to take the throne in Jerusalem and rule the world right then. And she was looking out for her boys, which any mother would do. Well, Jesus said, are they able to be baptized? He said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the, of the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, we're able. We can do it. He said to them, you shall indeed drink of my cup, be baptized the baptized, baptism I'm baptized with. What's that mean? In other words, Jesus was going to die a violent death. I want to tell you, according to, to Acts chapter 12 and verse number 2, that James was the first one of the apostles to be martyred. Herod had his head cut off with a sword. And John, the other one, he ended up in exile on the Isle of Patmos after years of persecution. He suffered greatly at the hands of the enemy. And so Jesus said, you, you will go through that, but to sit on my right hand or on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them by whom it is prepared of my father. So he was saying to them, I want you to know when they heard it, when the 10 heard it, they got moved with indignation. They got angry. The other 10 got, what do you mean you want to sit on the right hand? We want that position. I'm, I'm sure Peter you know, was probably pushed to the front of the crowd and said, wait a minute, you guys, I'm the, I'm the water walker here. You guys just going to have to take, your, take a back seat. And, uh, and Jesus called him to him and said, we know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion and they are great. They that are great exercise authority upon them. They, they. One one person said it like this. David Jeremiah. He said, in the world's view, said you start at the bottom and you work your way up. You struggle to get to the top. And once you get to the tro- top and you get to be the authority, then you look down on all the people that serve under you. But he said, in the kingdom, it's not like that. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. So in the kingdom of God. Greatness is not measured by how many people are serving you. Are you ready? Greatness is measured by how many people you serve. That's what Jesus did. Oh, boy, no, that, that doesn't go well in the, in the face of modern thinking. True greatness in the kingdom of God is characterized by sacrifice, service, and reconciliation. Our goal as Christians is to give our lives and to, for the Lord in service that we, Paul said, having been reconciled might effect this ministry of reconciliation. I want to tell the world that watches by way of the internet and by television and by radio and all the ways that we can get it to them. I want to tell them we're not here just to try to make a big name for ourselves and, and live in a mansion and drive around in Rolls Royces with chauffeurs. That's not what we're about. We're about trying to reach you with the wonderful news of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. We want to bring you to eternal life. Hallelujah. And then Jesus said, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Amen. Let him be your servant. When we start thinking about what it means, hallelujah, He goes on and says, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but he came to give his life as a ransom.
to pay for our sins for many. That's who Jesus is. Jesus squarely confronts the world's concept of greatness. Greatness is not defined by high position, but true greatness in the kingdom of God comes through humbling yourselves and being a servant for God. That's why we're here. Paul said it like this in Philippians 2 and 5. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with, be counted equal with God, but made himself, what's this, of no reputation. Christ did. He could have, you know, the, the song used to say, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and deliver him from that cross. Billy Graham, the great preacher, when I was a boy, I remember sitting out on Duncan Lane in front of a round screen black and white TV with one channel. And when Billy Graham would preach crusades, they'd cancel everything else and he'd be on all week. Now that's, that's where America was then. And I remember Billy Graham preaching. As a boy, it touched me. I watched sitting there in that living room. My grandparents, when Billy was preaching, you had to be quiet. If you didn't, they'd crack you in the head. And I was sitting there watching Billy preach and I just kind of waiting for it to get over. And then finally he said, I want to tell you God's going to judge you one day. And he said, but you need to know that he's already judged you. And he got my attention. He said, when Christ was hanging on the cross, from that cross he looked down through the annals of time. He saw every man, every woman, every boy and girl that had ever lived, past, present, and future. He saw the sins of the world while hanging there. He could have called those angels to come and deliver him, but never he never did. He just looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They know what, what they do. And then he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. He said, at that moment, Jesus judged us worthy of him shedding his blood for I want to tell you nobody else not Muhammad not not Buddha no 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 nobody ever did for you what Jesus did he gave his life as a ransom he made himself of no reputation took him in the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men verse 8 said being found in fashion as a man he looked like a man he felt like a man. He bled like a man. But he was God. Emmanuel is what Isaiah called him, God with us. And he humbled himself, became obedient to the death, even to the death of the cross. Jesus put on human flesh. John 1.14 said, Amen. He was, the, he was the Word. The Word was made flesh. It dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory. Even as the glory of the only have gotten of the Father full of grace and truth. God got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. Christ did. Your Bible says in John 13 and 4, he rose up from supper, that last supper in the upper room. Amen. The, what we know is the last supper. It's a, it's a picture of communion. And he laid aside his garment, his outer garment, and he, which was distinction and, and left him in the, only in the garments of a servant. And he took a towel and he girded himself and he poured water in a basin and he started to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that he was girded with. Old Peter said, Lord, you won't, you're going to wash my feet? He said, you won't ever wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't do this, you'll have no part with me in the kingdom of God. What you see me do, you all do it for each other. Humble yourself. That's what he was saying. And Peter said, well, then not just my feet, but my head and my hands, all of me. Give me a bath, Lord, if that's what it's going to take. And Jesus said, you're clean. You're mine, but your feet get dirty walking in this world. We need to understand that. 
as religious as we may look, we still got nasty feet because we're walking in this old nasty world. And from time to time, we have to be humbled to become clean with God. Amen. I'm going to close with this. You and I need to understand as the church, as Americans, as the world looks upon us. We need to understand that we need to fight for what's left. We used to sing a song, as the world looks upon me as I travel along, they say I have nothing, but they are so wrong. In my heart I'm rejoicing, though the world cannot see. And I raise my hands and say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Let me know you're blessed today. Uh, you're blessed to be born here. I mean, we got people on the news media and on the media all over the world today shouting about how bad America is. They just need to get on a plane, go to any place in the world you want to go. When you get off the plane, walk into the airport, you step back in time 50 years, and most of them, can, at least that long, concern even technology. You go out away from that, you go back 150, 200, 300. I've been in places where they're still living like they lived 500 years ago. No electricity, working with oxen, working with animals, living in mud huts with thatched roofs, and just living to die. Dying, the, the lifespan in most of Africa, the expected lifespan is, is about 50 years old. I mean, they, they, to be 50 years old is to be an old person. They're dying in these countries around. And I'm not being critical of them. I'm here to tell you we're blessed to live in America. But we, most, most people can't see the greatness of where we are. But we need to understand the greatness of our Savior. We need to fight for what's left. Among you that watch me by live stream, by television, or those here in the room, there's power, there's potential, there's promise. God has set everything in front of us. He's able to come right here right now and help you put things back together. In, in his book, Jensen uh, Franklin wrote a book, and I read it twice. I loved it so good. And the title of the book was Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. And Jensen Franklin gives four strategies for keeping your family together and staying sane. And one of those things was fight for what's left. When the enemy has come in and taken from, from us something we thought we couldn't make it without or a person or whatever, then we have to realize that God is still God. And this past year, 2020, it was a horrible year for us. We lost several people in our family, out of our church. We were, it seemed like we were having funerals and people that I thought I couldn't live without. I had to bury them. People I depended on that I loved, that I was close to. People that were responsible, some of them, for me even being saved, they, God, they, they were gone. And I found myself at times feeling almost hopeless. But then I began to think, well, God is still God. He's still in control. What's left, amen, we got to hold on to it. Amos said it like this, talking about Israel being scattered. I love Amos, the prophet, you ought to read it sometime. You know what he said? He said, then said the Lord, as a shepherd takes out of the mouth of a lion two legs and a piece of an ear, that's all that was left. It just didn't seem like there's nothing left. He said, so shall the children of Israel be taken out of that dwelt in Samaria that had been carried away in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch that they seem like they're about to die. God said, I'll come back and get them. So if you can get a picture of a lion grabbing a sheep and it ain't seem like nothing left in its mouth but two legs and a piece of an ear. God can reach in, pull that out, put that lamb back together. You, I'm gonna tell you, God can do that for you because he's a great savior. Can you say amen? 
Amen. By his grace, you can hold on. Listen to me, Christian. Things may be rough right now, but by his grace, you can hold on. By his power, you can fight the good fight of faith and fight for what's left. What do I need to do, preacher? You need to pray again. I mean, you need to worship again. I saw a bumper sticker on a car one day. I read a lot of bumper stickers, I guess, but I saw one one day that said, Honk if you love Jesus. I said, Honk? Blow a horn? Why not pray if you love Jesus? Why not worship if you love Jesus? Here's a good one. Why not tithe if you love Jesus? Why not be faithful to God? In other words, that's what tithing does. It's an indicator of faithfulness. Amen. Why not comfort one another? Why not fill each other's lives with hope? The Bible said one place, provoke one another to faith, not to wrath. Provoke one another to worship, not to envy. Encourage one another that our God is still God. Refuse to be depressed. How many in this room refuse to be depressed? I, I just absolutely refuse to. And, people, I, and I know it's real. I've dealt with it. I've fought it. God brought me through it. I've, I've tried to counsel people to get them through it. And, uh, and sometimes you look at them and say, well, Jesus can bring you out. No, that's not what I need. Yes, it is. You don't need to go give some psychiatrist $150 an hour to lay on a couch and let him fill your mind with some Freudian concept of stupidity. You need Jesus, hallelujah. Is this all right? God has the ability to take tragedy and turn it into strength. I, I need to say that again. God alone has the ability, Jesus alone has the ability to take your tragedy and turn it into triumph and strength. Only God can do that. In pain, he can cause us to draw close to, cause us to draw close together. James said it like this. When the devil's raging, coming against you, he said, draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. And you and him will be tight. Now, that's my translation. That's not the Bible, but that's, I need to clarify that. That's not the Bible. That's Owen saying, you and God will be tight. You'll be, up, you'll be close together. And then, when it's you and God, then God said, you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what does flee mean? It means to run scared for your life. The devil ain't afraid of me. But when me and God is all tight together, he is scared to death to confront us. We have a great Savior. I'm going to close and just say this. Don't let circumstances torment you. Uh, <laughs> Years ago, there used to be a laundry detergent. There still may be. I don't know anything about laundry. My wife refuses to let me in the laundry room. But there used to be a laundry detergent called Shout. Is that still out there, Shout, or, or some kind of thing? And when you couldn't get a stain and laundry wouldn't bring it out, it'd say, they'd squirt it and say, Shout it out. And I got a hold of that. I, and sometimes when things are getting real tough for me, I just shout it out. I'm not talking about going to the laundry room either, honey. I'm talking about getting in the presence of God. Let the Holy Ghost come down. Let the presence of the Lord come down and lift up my hands and just shout my way out of trouble. Are you hearing me? You can shout it out. Hallelujah. Can I, can I tell you something, families? I feel like talking to families today for a moment. 
Pain should not drive you apart. Pain should draw you close together. I've watched families disintegrate because one of them couldn't get mama's gravy bowl or something when she passed away. Can I submit to you, if mama knew you'd fall out over a stinking gravy bowl, she'd have broke it before she died. It's not designed to drive you. Pain should pull you together. You should be able to comfort one another. You should be able to love one another through your heartaches and through your pain. You should be able to get on your knees together and pray together and let Jesus come and do what only he can do. Amen. Don't try to sort it out. If you do, it's like wheat and tares. You'll destroy the wheat trying to pull up the tares. Just let, your, just let the rest of your crop, your family, your faith, your circumstances, just keep on growing. And in the end, God will straighten it all out. Solomon, with all of his wisdom, couldn't answer all of our questions. But a greater than Solomon is here. Jonah, in the whale's belly. I'm going to get controversial here now. Preachers have to do that from time to time. And, and I've heard preachers talk about him being down there in the whale's belly and swimming around. He was dead, people. Because he said, from hell I lifted up my eyes. I mean, he was dead. Because Jesus was dead when he was in the heart of the earth. And the Bible said, as Jonah was, so would Jesus be. Can I get a witness? So in hell, in torment, he'd failed God. In that time before the resurrection, there was a, a, a great cavern in the heart of the earth. One side was paradise. The other side was torment. It was hell. Jesus told that. And, uh, you know, somebody said when Jesus spoke about Lazarus and the rich man, it was a parable. No, sir. When it was a parable, the Bible said it was a parable. But Jesus said there was a certain beggar named Lazarus and there was a rich man that fared sumptuously. They both died. Lazarus went to paradise. The rich man went to hell and was in torment. And Jonah said, I was in hell. Read it. And he said, I looked again toward the throne. And God showed him a grace and a mercy that only Jesus could illustrate. Death was defeated when Jesus walked out of that grave. Just like it was when that whale vomited Jonah up on the shore. And he went and did the preaching God called him to do. And, and somebody said to me, well, why did God raise Jonah? I said, because God had given him a message and he couldn't let the message die with the man. Hello? I, I need to quit. I've come to tell you that we have a great Savior. If you never remember anything else that this old gray-headed preacher says, you remember this. We have a great Savior. <laughs> I mean, you ought to be able to look hell in the face. Look, the devil... You know, with his red beady eyes and his split tongue and breathing fire out of his nostrils, look at him and say, I ain't afraid of you. I have a great Savior. And his name is Jesus. And set our hearts on you. Lord, come and We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.